Thank you, Lord. Beautiful. It's wonderful to be the church. It's wonderful to gather on Sundays and during the week in our life groups and to worship the King. Hallelujah. And for communion this morning, extra special. Worship team, thank you. Let's thank the Lord for our team that led us today. Well, it's time for the Word of God. And um, please turn with me in the book of Revelation. We're at chapter 8. It's page 30. If you're following along in your Revelation journal, uh, please do so. Revelation chapter 8. Now, the whole book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus. And it's important to keep that in front of us because he is the one who is being revealed and he's the one doing the revealing. Revelation chapter 1, it's there he is. He's revealed like we've never seen him before. Then chapters 2 and 3, it's the revelation of Christ in the church. Revelation chapters 4 and 5, it's the revelation of Christ in the throne room. Revelation 6 and 7, it's the revelation of Christ over history and over the final events of history. And then uh, we come this morning now to Revelation 8 and 9, and we see the revelation of Christ in a distinct way as he answers prayer. Christ links himself to us. Here, in a sense, in the middle of the book, in the middle of all these cataclysmic events that are going to be taking place on the world scene, Christ links himself to the prayers of the saints. And frankly, if this is the key to understanding the whole book of Revelation, if you think that God operates distinct from his people. If God, who is sovereign, there's no question about that, we are not seated on the throne, Christ is seated on the throne next to the Father, but they are, are linked, the Father and the Son are linked to the prayers of the saints. We're gonna look at this this morning in Revelation chapter eight, Verses 1 through 5. Uh, follow along, please. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer or a golden uh, bucket. And he had been given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer or this bucket and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Hallelujah. Now we're going to come back and look at this piece by piece. It is, uh, 
I've been studying prayer. As uh, Those of you, if you've been here a while, you know I'm a prayer guy. From the day I was filled with the Holy Spirit, February 1st, 1975, I've been a prayer guy. I can't help myself. Uh, he filled me with his spirit, and he converted me to be a prayer guy. Ever since that moment, ever since that moment, um, I, I, have, I have followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit to seek God's face in prayer. I'm not bragging about it. It's all the work of Christ, but it is undeniable, and I might as well own that fact. But I have never before seen the strategic coupling, the link between the prayers of the saints, that's us, and the throne of God, like I have here in Revelation 8, 1 through 5. Now, we're going to, and I, I, my prayer is that this teaching will be a revelation. Ah, let's coin a phrase, revelation. Every study in the book of Revelation is meant to be a revelation. That's why it's called the book of Revelation. And every study, every time you open the book of Revelation, you ought to get a revelation. Don't just settle for uh, an insight. Oh, that's a nice thing to know. No, don't, don't settle for that. Don't just settle for intellectual accumulation. There ought to be a revelation. That's what the book is full of revelation. But now follow this. There's a kingdom principle that is so clearly spelled out in the book of Revelation, and that is this. One revelation leads to another revelation. All the revelation is linked together. Revelation is telescopic. That is, it is ever increasing. Let me give you an example. If your power went out a week ago uh, when uh, the remnants of the hurricane went through, some of my neighbors are still without power. I don't tell them that I've got power, but um, these poor guys, I, I got neighbors. There's 600 of our neighbors are still without power. It's awful. Anyway, when the power goes out in the middle of the night, what do you do? You grab for a flashlight or, or a match. I mean, it's like you were turned back 100 years, back before we had electricity. It's what happens. Anyway, let's say you, you grab a flashlight, okay? You got a flashlight, and then you realize the batteries are dead. How many of you have ever had that happen? Uh, they say flashlights, where else would you put your dead batteries? You know, that's why, that's why there are flashlights, so you have a place to store your dead batteries. Anyway. Okay, so but let's say you got one that works. So you, you, part, you turn it on, what happens? There's a revelation. It's what you're looking for so you don't stumble in the darkness. But it's not just a spotlight. It's not just one light. There's, there's a radiance. A, a, a light radiates. And so you can actually see more than just that one spot. And my point is revelation is that way. God's highlighting one thing, but it gives a broader spectrum of revelation to you. The same thing happens in the book of Revelation. Now, specifically, watch this. In chapter 5, we were introduced to this scroll that has seven stamps in it. They're called seals, but it's a stamp. It's a stamp that you had to be authorized in order to open the scroll any further. So they'd open it a little ways, and then they'd have to bust open the stamp to, to open up further. And there were seven of these stamps within the scroll. Okay. Um, contained in the seventh stamp, the scroll that expands to the end beyond that stamp, that contains 
the seven trumpets, which we are introduced to now in chapters 8 through, really, it goes into chapter 10. The seven trumpets. The seven trumpets contain the four woes. The seven trumpets also contain the final list of seven, which are the bowls or the plagues. They're contained in the seventh trumpet. But the seven trumpets are contained in the seventh portion of the scroll after the seventh stamp is opened. So my point is, it's telescopic. As the scroll is revealed, you get deeper revelation, deeper revelation, and one is contained in the other, and it expands exponentially throughout the book of Revelation. This is why we grow in revelation. If you don't act on revelation, you're not going to get more revelation. You're given revelation so that you can act on it, and as you act on it, you're going to get more. It's just like walking around a dark house with a flashlight. If you act on the, the light, you, you move into the next room, and you can take your light there. It, it, it leads you, and the revelation of God is intended to do the same thing. Okay, so just to summarize that, let me read again Revelation 8, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lamb opened the seventh stamp, or seventh seal, and there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Then I saw the seven angels standing before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So my point is, this contained within the same scroll that we've seen, we don't leave the seven seals. Contained within the scroll are the seven trumpets. Okay? So one, one leads to the next. Now, we're going to look at all, uh, we're going to look at the first six of these seven trumpets. These trumpets are really like a, a shofar. We, 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 we use this uh, at, at, at good moments in our worship, and um, we, we need someone who's skilled at blowing the shofar. Oh, look at this gentleman here. So... <laughs> um, uh, an angel, these, there are seven different angels, and there's seven different shofars, one given to each one. Now, the beauty of the shofar, it's a penetrating sound. It's, it's not offensive, but it's penetrating. And it can be heard a long way off. And uh, the, the beauty of, the, the, of this picture, um, you remember at um, Jericho, when, when Israel first went to conquer and invade the, what was their promised land. The first one was this big citadel of, of Jericho. The walls have been excavated by archaeologists since then in recent days, and they were 14 feet thick. They were humanly impossible to knock down. But um, all Israel did, they, they didn't bring in their wrecking balls, they, they didn't bring in uh, earth-moving equipment, they didn't even bring in TNT. All they did was send a few guys with the shofars uh, to walk around, and they all shouted and blew the shofar at the right time, and the walls came down. Uh, so anyway, it's the power of the shofar. Um, so the first, the first trumpet blew. Now, this may or may not work. Let's try it. Go ahead and stand up, a young, young man. And um, so <clears throat> let, me, let me read it first. So verse 6 
Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets were permitted to blow them. Verse seven is the first trumpet. The first angel blew his trumpet. Not bad, not bad. Okay. And following that, there was hail and fire mixed with blood that were thrown down upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. Now, can you imagine? Now, what the difference between the seven trumpets that we're looking at this week in, in Revelation 8 and 9 and the seven stamps or seals in Revelation 5 and 6 and 7, the difference is the, the seals that were open were all the result of sin running its course. People were reaping what they had sown. Now things change. This is now the judgment of God. This isn't just sin having its effect. This is now the wrath of God against evil in the world. This is God bringing judgment. And so this first one, oh, and the other thing is, in when the seals or the stamps were opened in chapters five and six and seven, those we saw there in chapter six, verse eight, it said that 25% of the people on earth died of a plague. Now that was, this is a real plague. This isn't just COVID, as bad as that's been, a, a very small percentage of people globally have died. But there's gonna come a plague, it says, when those seals are open, that there's gonna be 25%, that's like two billion people will die. It won't be counted in thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions, it's gonna be counted in billions. But now when we come to these judgments, these trumpets, we move from 25% to 33%, a third of the earth, a third. And all these judgments, you're gonna see a third. So here, a third have been scorched. A trumpet two, you wanna give it one more whack? Trumpet two, oh, you, sh you should have seen his eyes light up. And he was like, oh man, oh, oh, I got this. Okay, so the second trumpet sounds, verse eight, and a third of all the living creatures on earth died. A third of the elephants, a third of the rhinoceros, a third of the dogs, a third of the cats, a third of the, the gophers, uh, a third of the squirrels, a third of the chipmunks. I mean, it's unbelievable. A third. Relax. Then uh, the, the third trumpet, verse 10, a third of the rivers are ruined. Which rivers? It doesn't say, but a third of them. Maybe the Nile, the Amazon, the Mississippi, a third of the rivers are going to be destroyed. Uh, then verse 12, the fourth trumpet will blow. Relax. And, and uh, verse 12 and a third of the oceans and the lakes will be destroyed. Then we come to chapter nine, verse one. Uh, it's page 34 in your journals if you're following along. Verse one, it says, a third of the sun's brightness will be turned out. It's almost like God has, has, uh, has a, a, a dimmer switch and he takes a third of the intensity of the sun out of its capability. I, I don't know how it's gonna happen, I don't have to know. But it's gonna look a third as brilliant as it does uh, today. 
Then verse 13, the sixth um, trumpet is blown, and a third of the earth's population will die. A third. We're talking now, now just think about this. We've already had 25% uh, die, and now we're having an additional 33%, so we're now talking more than 4 billion people will die of something, like rapidly. A third of the Earth's population will be lost. There's no way to minimize the devastation, the, the, the impact of this catastrophes on the Earth that is yet coming. It's yet coming. Some of us may be here when it does. And we'll know what we're talking about because of the revelation we've received. But notice how these verses end. It, can, it builds up to verse 20 of chapter 9. Follow with me, please. The rest of humankind who were not killed by the plagues, these three words grip me. The rest of humankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent. They did not repent. Those three words just almost make me nauseous. They did not repent of the works of their hands, nor did they give up worshiping demons and idols. And then verse 21, nor did they repent. There's the same words again. They did not repent of, and there's four targeted sins mentioned here. They did not repent of their murders, sorceries, sexual immorality, or thefts. Now, first of all, when we looked in Revelation 2 and 3 about the church, the mark of the church is repentance. Let me say it again. The mark of the church is repentance. The mark of those outside the church is they did not repent and they will not repent. The distinguishing factor of what identifies a Christian from the, the rest is repentance. It says here, even though these horrible things are happening, people still refuse to repent. Now, behind every major issue like this, major sin, there's always three, like an unholy trinity, and here's what they are. There's stubbornness, stubbornness. There's stubbornness in our nature that we refuse to repent. Second, there is pride. Who's gonna tell me to repent? Who do you think you are, God, to, to tell me to repent? as if I can't make it work on my own. And the third is clearly deception. They are so deceived. The world will be so darkened, so deceived, that what they call good is actually evil. And what they call evil is actually good. And there, there will be such deception that will harden the hearts of unbelievers to make it so that they will defiantly, they will not repent. Now, with this understood, I wanna, I, I wanna focus for a moment on these four sins. Murder, 
sorcery, sexual immorality, and theft. Now, the reason I want to focus on these is because if these are the four specifics that the world refuses to repent of, we as believers need to be good at repenting of these four sins. These are issues that all of us need to be in an ongoing state of repentance in dealing with in our own lives. We don't have to be preaching to others about how bad they are. We need to be dealing with this sin in repentance within ourselves. The first one, murder. We as a culture are drunk on murder. The television that we watch is dripping with murder. It doesn't matter whether it's NCIS, CSI, Bones, um, Bull, it all works off a murder and then the investigation and finding out who did it and all that. It's, all, it's, it's dripping with murder. And video games that our children play. When I was a kid, the, the best thing we had, we didn't have video games, we had those dark, dark guns that were plastic with a rubber flat tip. You'd lick it and you could shoot against the refrigerator, against a window. You know what I'm talking about. If you remember those things. They were the blast. And then some kid get his, gets his eye poked out with them and, and they got banned. Like you can't have them anymore. What a cheesy thing. I mean, you can poke your eye out with anything. Why do they have to get rid of those awesome darts? But my, my parents taught me you don't ever shoot that at a person. I could shoot it at a dog. I could shoot it at a squirrel. I could shoot it at the wall, but I couldn't shoot it at my sister. I, 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 it was wrong. And one time my friend came over. He had like a six-shooter. And he, he, I don't know how the thing worked, but it, it shot six without reloading. Well, he and I went after it. So I had, I had six single shot, and he had this one, like, machine gun. And we were going out. My dad caught me. He took him away. He said, I told you, you don't shoot a gun at people. Now, think of that, what I was raised with. And now, video games, so many are drenched with blood. And you, you don't just, you, you know, the, the early video games, it was target practice. You, you'd shoot at birds or, or, or targets. Now it's people. And now you don't just shoot at people. It's, it, do their guts spill out? How bloody does your screen get when you pull the trigger and you hit? This is, this is how drenched we are in murder. It's around us. It's crawling all over. And then I've got to bring up two other ones. Abortion. Abortion. We've got a few advocates that are, you know, like pointing out all the time pro-life stuff. Brothers and sisters, we all ought to be pro-life. How can we become anesthetized to the sin of murdering children? Now, I'm going to give a horrifying illustration. I, I, it hurts me 
to even give this illustration, but I feel like I need to. If I went right now and got a one-month-old from the nursery and brought that kid in here, imagine if I or someone began tearing limbs off that child. That's just so disgusting. I'm sorry for even mentioning it. But imagine that. Imagine that. Everyone would, what? We'd be screaming. You'd come up and you'd beat me to a pulp, or whoever's doing that, you'd beat me to a pulp. But one month earlier, it's legal. Do we realize this? Or a month before that, or a month before that, or a month before that? What do you think happens with abortion? Babies are dismembered. We can't dumb this down. 61 million have been dismembered since Roe v. Wade. This is not normal. This is not acceptable. Our land is polluted with the blood of innocent people. One more, racism. Racism. Racism is dehumanizing a person of infinite worth. Dehumanizing. Racism is when one person feels superior to another because of race or ethnicity or culture or something. Racism. Racism is murder. Jesus said, if you are angry at your brother, you've already committed a murder in your heart. If you say to your brother, Raka, you're liable to the fire of hell. You know what Raka means? Raka means you are worth less than I am. I am superior to you. It's dehumanizing. And Jesus said, dehumanizing anyone is murder. God help us. And I need to tell you, regardless of your skin color, we all need to deal with racism in here. We all do. Racism is not a Caucasian uh, failure. It's, it is inbred in every person. Asian, African, European, Hispanic, we all have it, and we all need to deal with it. And it's all murder. Because we are egocentric, we are also, by definition, ethnocentric, and ethnocentricity is the heart of racism. And it's murder. And God wants to lead you and me in ongoing repentance of murder. The next one, sorcery. Now sorcery normally and accurately is witchcraft. It's white magic, black magic, it's Ouija boards, tarot cards, it's superstitions, it's rabbit foot, it's when salt spills, you grab a little bit, throw it over your shoulder. 
It's, it's uh, not walking under a ladder. It's, uh, it's doing something. If a mirror breaks, uh, you come out from under that curse. What, what, that, all that is, it all comes under sorcery. It's all, it's all linked. God wants to break it off of us and lead us in repentance from every bit of it. In Jesus' name. But I want to give you the definition. If you're taking notes, it's page 34 in your, in your uh, Revelation journal. And next to verse 21, put this, because this is the word in the Greek language translated sorcery. It's the Greek word pharmakia. Pharmakia. And you'll recognize if you spell it out, pharmakia, it's, it's the root of pharmacy or pharmaceutical drugs. And the deal is this. Witches today, and witches in the first century when this was written, they all knew it's easier to contact demons when you're high. So you smoke a little opium or, or whatever gives you the buzz, and you then you're open yourself to demons. The problem is, People today take, you know, uh, smoking marijuana or a crack or a cocaine or, God forbid, heroin or any of those, and they don't sign on for demons. They sign on for a high, but it, it exposes them. It opens their, their soul up to demons. It's pharmakia. And brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about, you know, I know people that live in pain might need prescription marijuana. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those that aren't doing it by prescription. I'm and it's so easy. You get a new re knee replacement, you might need a couple days of oxycodone, but when, that, when those days are over, you get off of it. And there is a withdrawal that they might not have told you about. But you got to break it right away. And there are other narcotics. We don't call them narcotics, but there's other things that we revert into to escape reality. We don't need to escape reality. We are the people that can face reality. We don't need pharmakia. May God lead you and me in ongoing repentance from sorcery and pharmakia. The third word is sexual immorality. And there's room at the table for every one of us on this one. We live in a sex-saturated society. If you uh, open Facebook once a day, it's right there in front of you. If you, whatever news feed you follow, it's right there. With one or two clicks of your mouse, you're on a porno site that you maybe didn't intend to. And then it's on your screen and you face the decision. And, and if you don't nip it right away, if you don't crush it immediately, it will lure you and lure you. And before you know it, you're down a rabbit hole to hell. It's sexual immorality. In fact, the word in the Greek, again, if you're taking notes, page 34, write this in the margin. The word in the Greek language for sexual immorality is porneia. Porn ea. It's the, the, the root of it is pornography. And it's amazing how this, this is, this is uh, rooted because back then there was no pornography. Pornography would be uh, scribbling with a piece of chalk on a cave wall. 
or moving your finger in the, in the sand. Now, look at what's happened. And some preachers will overdo the book of Revelation. What I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not overdoing it. The fact is, our generation faces more temptation in pornography because of accessibility than at any other time in history, and that's logical. Brothers and sisters, it's so easy to tolerate a bad habit and call it a victimless crime. Let me tell you, pornography is stealing your best. It's ripping your, you off. It's ripping your future off. It's ripping everyone off around you who was intended to benefit from your life. And, ab and above all, you're ripping off Jesus Christ because Jesus did not come and die on the cross and be raised from the dead to leave you in your pornography habit. He didn't do that. No, but the deal is, the bottom line of this is there's room for all of us at the altar to repent of sexual immorality. There's room for all of us to deal with this. And if you're not dealing with it, you're moving backwards. If, the, if repentance from sexual immorality is not active in your life, you're moving in the wrong direction. And all the sexual brokenness that we have to deal with today, now is not the time. But it all, is, it all comes under this. The final one is theft. Theft. It's the final of the four. Theft. This is so powerful. Today, stealing is, is it's being passed on to the younger people like never before. In, in, when I was a, a student, some found it fascinating to shoplift. That's child's play. Now it's gotten far more technical. There's intellectual property, there's identity theft, there's uh, stealing credit card numbers. It goes on and on and on, it's exponential. Did you realize that, f forget even the intellectual property and credit card theft, just plain larceny, stealing a kid's bike from down the street, taking their baseball glove when they're not looking, all those kinds of things. Did you realize that 5.5 million people get caught and found guilty of larceny every year? 5.5 million in our country. And they say of those that get caught, there's 20 that don't get caught. Do the math. How, it's sick how popular theft has become. And people think, oh, but, you know, nobody's really feeling the effects of it. Oh, oh, really? Let me, let me wake you up. Department stores last year said they lost about $20 billion through shoplifting. Now, that's, we're just talking Walmart, uh, Target, and a few of the big ones. Department stores. $20 billion. You break this down, and across the board, what you paid for your cost of living in America last year was $500 higher than it would have been because of larceny. So if you're a family of five, you paid 
$2,500 more than you would have if nobody was shoplifting. Think of that. Victimless crime, I don't think so. Thievery, stealing in so many ways. Then you've got like China stealing our intellectual property and all the global theft that's going on. It becomes a way of life. And for us as the people of God, it is, we're crossing a line. All of these do. Murder is a violation of life. Sorcery is a violation of the supernatural. Sexual immorality is a violation of our moral integrity. And thievery is a violation of God-given boundaries. Now behind these four are demons. Very quickly, follow me. Baal, Leviathan, and Jezebel are behind them all. Baal is behind murder and thievery, the first and the last. Leviathan is behind sorcery, and Jezebel is behind sexual immorality. That's why God wants us to be living in repentance. Now, this has been unquestionably a heavy message. Some of you say, man, I missed the, the haunted house this weekend, but I came to church today, and I'm like, this has been pretty wild. This is a little bit over the edge for me. Well, hang on. Hang on. Is it going to get dark? Yes. Is God calling the church to repentance? Without question. But before we get in the book of Revelation to these dark things that are going to happen around us that God wants us to be ready for, before that, I bring you back to Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. And it says, the lamb opened the seventh seal, and listen to it, wait for it, and there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. So before you freak out, just we, we want to understand, why was there silence in heaven? We're, we're hearing trumpets blast. They're, they're loud. Before this, in chapters 4 and 5, we heard all this singing and every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth singing to the praise of our God. And it's loud, loud, loud. Why now silence? Watch it. Look at verse 3. And another angel came out and stood at the altar with a golden bucket. And he was given much incense to offer, listen to it, with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Now picture this. You see, you've got to take this as a revelation. The revelation is a picture. The picture is of a golden throne in front of uh, a golden altar in front of the throne, and on that altar, what is on the altar? Your prayers! My prayers! They didn't just go, they didn't just fall down. They made it. And they're being stored and spread out on the altar. 
Now that's not the end of it, it's only the beginning. There they are. And this big angel was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Notice all the saints. This isn't in every other thing. Well, God will hear this guy's prayers, but he's not going to hear that person's. You know, my prayers aren't going to. No, all the saints, all our prayers. And why the incense? Because none of our prayers are perfect. They've all got flaws. They've got uh, some bad motives. They've got some issues in them. But the, the incense represents that God purifies it all. But he doesn't throw them out. He keeps them. He just purifies them. And then... Then, I love this, look at verse four. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So why is there silence? Because the Father is listening. He goes, shh, shh, shh. I'm listening to the prayers that are on the altar before my throne. Now look at verse five. Then the angel took the bucket and filled it with fire from the altar. Now he's already put into his bucket the prayers of the saints. So the prayers are gathered up from the altar, put in the bucket, and now into the bucket with the prayers comes the fire of God. God's presence is now mingled with the prayers of the saints. That's only the beginning, watch this. And then he threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a revelation a revelation of the intercession of God's people. This shows the central purpose, the role that our prayers play in fulfilling the purposes of God on earth. Every day, your prayers re-enter history with incalculable impact. My prayers re-enter history every day with unimaginable impact. Our corporate prayers re-enter history with hard to fathom impact in moving the sovereign plan of God forward. Hallelujah. If you've ever wondered do my little prayers make a difference? Turn to Revelation chapter eight. Every day this is replicated. This isn't like just being stored up for, for, for a blue moon. This is a con continuous activity that is taking place before the throne and the Lord has given John this revelation. Now this week I did a little research on why does lightning and thunder come during storms? And what happens is when, when heat is present, the moisture evaporates and rises up uh, above and, and it creates movement between hot and cold. And 
when, when the movement comes to a certain force, uh, electrical impulses are released, and that's the lightning. And those electrical impulses heat the air and causes the air to explode, and that's what comes as thunder. The next time you are trying to comfort little Johnny uh, during a thunder and lightning storm, tell them God is answering prayer. God is heating the atmosphere of prayer that has risen into his presence and supercharging it with his presence and sending it back down on earth. Hallelujah. We're going to have an election on Tuesday. Some of us have been a little squirmish, a little apprehensive. We don't know what we're going to wake up to on Wednesday. Maybe it'll take till Thursday, Friday. We're not even sure when the, the verdict will be called. You don't have to wait till Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to know who's on the throne. And if you feel like your little vote isn't going to make much difference, pray. Because every one of us ought to vote, and most of us probably already have voted, but you want to make more influence than one vote, pray. Imagine how this would have hit the seven churches in what's now modern-day Turkey Imagine how they would have felt. In the Roman Empire, their pastor was removed, thrown in, in exile, banished. They had little money. They had no political clout. They were marginalized. They felt powerless. How do you think they felt when they got news that all their prayers are still sitting on the, on the, the, before the throne of God and that there's an angel putting them all in a bucket and then filling that bucket with his presence and throwing it back down on earth. How do you think they felt? Or how do you think the writer of Revelation would have felt, John himself? The, the greatest insult in the Roman Empire was to banishment, to be picked up and, and separated from your people. That was the greatest insult. It, that was being dehumanized, treated like an animal. John would have felt powerless. But now, how do you think he felt that all the prayers that he'd been praying in exile were all now laid out before the throne and now being put into the bucket and God's presence and being thrown back down to earth? No, this passage took John to school. This passage took the church to school. It showed them that powerlessness is not banishment. Powerlessness, listen to me, brothers and sisters, for those of us that have felt marginalized by our society because we are followers of Jesus Christ, powerlessness is not being marginalized. Powerlessness is prayerlessness. Powerlessness 
is prayerlessness. Those with the greatest power on earth, according to the book of Revelation, are those who pray. Now to bring the beginning of chapter eight and the end of chapter nine together, I call us as a church today to repent of prayerlessness. All, hear it, all repentance begins with repentance for prayerlessness, all of it. If you don't repent of prayerlessness, you'll never repent of murder, sorcery, sexual immorality, theft, you'll never will. God is calling us as a church. God's readying us as a church for the last days. With a call today, we who have minimalized the impact of prayer. How many times have I said, I wish there was more I could do for you, but I'm gonna pray for you. As if that's like a back seat to really helping someone, I'll just pray for them. God, forgive me, forgive me. And I used to play, play little word games, like, you know that slogan, prayer changes things. I thought, and I've even said this out of my self-righteous little twang, I'd said, oh, well, prayer doesn't change things, God changes things. What a stupid thing to say. It's pitiful. Of course God changes things. But no, Revelation chapter eight tells me that prayer does change things. It's prayer supercharged with the presence of God thrown back to earth that does change things. The prayers of God's people are not irrelevant for the flow of human history. Church, we need to wake up. We need a revelation of the role of prayer today. Wake up, wake up. We are a sleeping giant. Don't allow yourself to be on some narcotic, some, some, some opioid to escape reality. God is calling you, waking you up to the urgency of the hour, which is a praying church. No. God's word is calling me today to repent of prayerlessness, to give God open access to my prayer life, to lead me in prayer every time he wants to. For him to rebuild my prayer life, for him to rebuild my prayer life with Sherry, with our pastors, to continue to infuse my life and the way I operate with his presence by prayer. And he wants to do it for you as well. Now, worship team, if you would come. I want to... I wanna, call us right now to repentance. I want to call us to welcome a spirit of repentance which is from the Lord. Only God can lead us in repentance. But I want that spirit of repentance to be active in my life. And it starts with repentance from prayerlessness. And I, I call us this morning to take a moment and say, Lord, I receive your correction. I receive your rebuke. I receive this word. And I receive the spirit of repentance. 
to do its work in me, and particularly to repent of prayerlessness. Change my heart from the inside out. Now, some of you may have felt conviction over murder, not the, the first degree murder, but as it was applied in many different ways. Some of you may feel a, a, a call to repent of sorcery, from sexual immorality, from theft, whatever it is. Those are included in this call. Welcome a spirit of repentance. Let, let the Lord call you into repentance this morning. And here's what I want to do. If you have a mask, and we, we ask everyone every Sunday to wear a mask. If you brought one, I want you to put it on now. Because those with masks, I want to give you the opportunity to come to the front in repentance. If you don't have a mask, God bless you. It's fine. It's not going to keep you out of heaven. Hallelujah. But I'm going to ask you not to come just for safety reasons. I'm going to ask you to spread out when you come across the front. You can even come up and stand on the platform to be separated. But if you can respond today and say, Lord, I humble myself. I repent of prayerlessness. I come today in Jesus' name. I come today. Several have already come. You come. Come now. Come now. Spread out. Stand across the front. When you come down an aisle, if you'd move out so you don't create a log jam there in the flow in the aisle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we welcome your spirit of repentance. Lord, break, break my heart. Break the hardness. Lord, remove my stubbornness. Break me of my pride and arrogance. And Lord, remove from me the deception in Jesus' name. Remove it. Lord, bubble up repentance, repentance, repentance. Flow with repentance, repentance, repentance. Lord, many of us have ministries to others. Lord, we want to not only be people of repentance, we want a ministry of repentance. Lord, activate this within us. Lord, this is your church in these days. It's what's to mark us. Lord, we come and we humble ourselves this morning. We cry out to you, Lord, in repentance. Deliver us from prayerlessness. Deliver us from the sin of prayerlessness in Jesus' name. Break prayerlessness off of us in Jesus' name. Free us from the bondage of prayerlessness. Break off the unbelief. Break off the pride that is part of prayerlessness. Pride and prayerlessness are, are, are ugly twins. And we re renounce them both in Jesus' name. Lord, we humble ourselves this morning. I feel you're stirring deep within us as a people. Stir, Lord, repentance. Keep, us, keep the spirit of prayer alive in us in Jesus' name. We cry out to you, Lord. We cry out to you this morning. Fulfill it among us. Fulfill it now among us in this strategic season of our lives, in, 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 in the strategic time in history. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. And Lord, we would be remiss to not bring to you the election on Tuesday. 
Lord, we declare our nation holy to God. Lord, we know that you've had purposes from when this nation was founded. And Lord, we, we have strayed. But Lord, we humble ourselves today and we ask you to intervene in our nation. Move among us, Lord. Please, Lord, don't abandon the United States of America. Lord, manifest your presence over the voting booths, over the tabulation, the counting, the, the processing of, of every ballot that was legitimately cast. We pray your blessing and that they'd all be counted accurately. And we pray for a smooth transition, whatever that's going to look like. On Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we bless our, our, our nation. We bless our leaders. We bless our cities in Jesus' name. But Lord, as the people of God, as the city of God, continue to move among us. Work in us, work through us for the sake of your glorious name. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you that as a people we can have a morning like this. That we don't have to have a big show. We can keep it real. Lord, continue to flow, flow, flow. Spirit of God, flow among us. Flow, flow. We feel your presence, Lord. We linger here. We stay in your presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Lord, we, we throw off the spirit of murder, the spirit of sorcery, the spirit of sexual immorality, the, the spirit of theft. We throw them off in Jesus' name. And we cleanse ourselves, we loose ourselves, we free ourselves from those evil forces. Lord, continue to expose them in our lives and deliver us from those evils. We pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful we had communion this morning. Lord, we receive and we declare over ourselves the blood of Jesus, the power of the blood of Jesus. Continue to wash us inside. Wash us, cleanse us. Hallelujah. 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 Thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you for your blessing over us, over our church family. Praise you, praise you, praise you. Praise you, praise you, praise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.